Hey, listen up. Yeah, we here and we locked in. Let's keep it going all the way to the top ten. We fear the turtle, so it's no other option. Fred and Ryan, just watch them. Let's take it to the max. It's the shell and tell. They come with all the facts. It's the shell and tell. Let's take it to the max. It's the shell and tell. They come with all the facts. It's the shell and tell. What's up, Turf fans? Fred, Ryan, Ahmed, back with another episode of the Shell and Tell podcast. Uh, it's Thursday, October 28th. Happy early Halloween to everybody. Uh, hopefully everybody's got their candy and ready for the holiday coming up. Uh, it's, we can eat some positivity because it has not been good over the last couple of weeks with these Turps. No, it has not been good with these with these Turps. I mean, we do have homecoming coming up. I give a little bit of excitement. My girls are certainly excited with being a Halloween game, I think. They're not going to be wearing red this week. They'll be in little princess dresses as usual. Yeah, Terps drop three in a row, fall to four and three on the season. Not great. No, but uh, we'll touch on some injury news coming out of practice this week. Some good, some good. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll break down some, uh, some audio clips coming out of this weekend. All right. Before we get into football, though, let's talk a little basketball, as we've been doing for the last couple of weeks. Like true uh, Terps fans. <laughs> Look forward right. to basketball season. Right. Yeah. Uh, they've got an open practice coming up this weekend, right, Ahmed? Yes, sir. Um, they got uh, they announced full details uh, earlier this week um, not from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. The women's basketball practice uh, will take place inside Xfinity. I'll host a little Q&A session with the players and coaches. Um, and then for the kids, obviously, from uh, 11 a.m. to noon, uh, obviously, in celebration of Halloween, get a little trick and treat. And then, obviously, uh, starting at noon till about 1.30, uh, the men's team will hit the court. Uh, get a chance to uh, you know watch the team, um, and again, it's an open practice for media and uh, the fans. So you can actually just go online uh, on the umterps.com or the, for the women's or men's basketball, or you can go on Inside the Black and Gold. We posted the press release, and you're able to just click the link right there, hit RSVP, uh, and about five ten seconds later, basic info, and you are all set to go for for this weekend. So uh, yeah, definitely just a uh, a fun way to you know kind of uh, you know. Embrace your Terp fandom over the weekend, and uh, yeah, check out this new look Terp squad. I'm glad to hear they're making it a whole event with the whole women's, the trigger treating, everything. Because when I first heard that they were having an open practice this weekend, and they weren't doing it on homecoming Saturday when they're already going to have seventeen thousand, you know, fifty thousand people, hopefully, <laughs> <laughs> in in the you know parking lots, I was a little confused by it. So it's good that they're making it like a long stretch out thing that it's still worth going down to College Park checking out, spending the day with your family, because it was just, you know, 90 minutes of practice, it would definitely made more sense to put it with football. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, um, you know, just to, to be a perfect opportunity to kind of, um, you know, maximize, I guess, your attendance, your avail- your potential attendance for, for events like these. But, um, you know, there's a part of me that's kind of intrigued by it just because I think the women's basketball team, you know, they were pretty exciting last year, returned everyone from that team. And then the men's team uh, was just kind of the, this, the, the new additions. Um, so, uh, you're, you're, you know, Ryan, I, I agree with you. I think, like you said, uh, kind of a chance to, to add more seats in there. But, um, you know, uh, you know, shout out Maryland. I think that they, uh, they don't always do a good job of kind of letting these kind of opportunities avail- be made available to their fans. So, um, you know, even though it's on a Sunday, Sunday morning, um, you know, it's uh, it's free. So why not? Yeah, it might be a weekend for you to skip church, get out there, <laughs> see a, some positivity, right? See some uh, a top 20 ranked basketball team, men's team. And like you said, uh, perennial contenders in the women's team. So, uh, yeah, open at number four. The women's team will definitely be contenders. We hope the men's team are. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man, switch gears. We got to go over to the football squad. We got to talk about it uh, as the Terps lose their third in a row, 34-16 Minnesota. We talked about this being a game that if you're trying to go bowling, they had about three more winnable games. This was the game, one of the games that you really wanted to win, so you didn't feel that pressure of having to win the next two. Uh, but Terps couldn't get it done. Same problems, same issues. Games are hard to win on the road. They keep telling me. I guess that's what bit us. <laughs> but we just got bowled over by a bigger, batter team, I think. And a much older team. Much older team. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely much older team. Um, yeah, I mean, I think this is. Uh, it was just kind of a disappointing um, uh, showing for Maryland this weekend. And uh, you know, Loxley talked on it after the game, and the players mentioned it as well uh, in Tuesday's media availability. You know, it wasn't about effort; it was really just about execution. And um, 
just just a, a sloppy performance kind of seemingly from beginning to end i mean from talia's fumble on the third play of the game to the missed tackles from the front seven of the secondary so um you know definitely definitely a lot of miscues there yeah missed tackles that seems to be a theme lately on saturdays and sundays for me being a ravens fan i can't get <laughs> away from it. it is an issue every week uh but yeah so you mentioned the uh the post game presser from Loxley, uh, which was pretty eye-opening. I mean, he was pretty candid in a lot of his comments, so I thought we'd take a little of a different approach this week. Uh, let's want to play a few audio clips from Loxley's presser and just kind of break down a couple different segments here. Yeah, I think we just kind of got get sick of having the same complaints over and over from us again. <laughs> yeah. so you can always wanted, say the same thing so many times. <laughs> we figured this might be a fun way to have a different conversation starter. Let's you know, a lot of you probably already already hear the presser, but if not, this will give you a good look at the presser in different segments. Uh, we'll probably do a lot more of this uh, coming up, and uh, let's let the coach open this one up. I mean, I'll start this off with, by saying that obviously today was not good enough. Uh, not good enough from a coaching standpoint. Uh, not good enough from a performance standpoint. You know, we say oftentimes say that it's our jobs as coaches to teach and demand, and it's the player's job to prepare and perform, and we didn't get that done today. And, you know, for us to have two weeks to prepare for this game and to come out and execute the way uh, we did was very, very disappointing. And, uh, you know, what we've got to do is figure out uh, how to get this thing fixed because we've got a great opportunity, obviously, next week with homecoming, uh, being back in the shell against Indiana. But as I told our team, you know, come Monday, we're going to coach whoever shows up that has the mindset that they, they they have enough pride to get this thing fixed. Because right about now, uh, pride comes into play. When you let a team rush for 300 yards uh, and at will, uh, again, the drops on the offensive side of the ball, um, the penalties continuing, you know, these are all things that every week we keep talking about and either we got to get it fixed. Or we got to get those guys out of the game, off the field. And again, and it's not just the players, coaches, too. We, we, we need to do a better job, like I said, teaching and demanding it. And we'll get that done. So he's not an idiot. I mean, obviously, he sees all the same issues that we see week in and week out. Uh, I like the fact that he's taking ownership of it. Uh, I, I know for me personally, just watching coach on the sidelines, uh, I know not only me, but a lot of fans are taking issue with some of his body language on the sidelines, uh, the lack of enthusiasm, you know, the lack of involvement in getting in people's asses, for lack of a better term. Like he just looks immediately depressed, disappointed, yeah. and defeated. He really does, and it came mistakes. It came across in the presser as well. <laughs> it continues in the presser. You're right. Yeah, um, I think I think one thing that's always stuck out to me about Loxley whenever he takes the podium is he does a good job of taking that accountability. I mean, there's there's no sugarcoating. I mean, Big Ten Media Days when he un- unrolled that uh, BCE's no uh, bitching, complaining, or excuses. I feel like there's been several cases where this season, um, you know, when uh, coming out of these losses where, um, you know, Loxley has shown that accountability. So, um, you know, like you guys said, you know, had a tip to him. Um, only thing that doesn't sit well with me is that we've heard this before and yep. the actions are the same. So how, um, and I, I, I think I struggle with that as a reporter and like how, we, how to ask, how to get that out in an answer form, like how, what changes, how does it change? Um, right. And I know obviously it is always the, it's the instant reaction. So um, it's hard to say that in the moment, but um, yeah, uh, again, like you said, it's just the, the, I guess the awareness that, you know, the, the standard that they often cite um, is not, is not uh, being met at, at all. Well, Locke says it's the coach's job to teach and demand players job to prepare and perform. I think he missed one. Um, the coach's job is to delegate. The players don't get to go on that field unless he tells them they can go on that field. So when you start attacking the players later, or even in those same statements, you're the reason that that player is on the field. So you made that decision wrong. I, I, yes, maybe they're showing you something different in practice than they're showing you on the field. That could be a, could be part of it. But the, it's your job to pick which players get to see the grass on Saturday. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, you know, I think it's uh, just kind of. Uh, I think I think I mainly took it as a biggest way for for Loxley to maybe light a fire under his guys you know both the coaches and players kind of let everyone know that um you know kind of falls on everyone I think the biggest disappointment for me in this game is obviously this was a game that you know we checked off on the schedule as a winnable game even in the beginning of the season right a game that we could win uh this is coming off of a bye where we had two weeks of 
issues that we knew we needed to fix. And he did address that in the presser. He did say that, you know, it's unacceptable to, to come out of a buy like that, have two weeks to prepare and still have this kind of outing. I think that's for me, the biggest thing that stands out here is just how unprepared they were with all the extra time. That certainly stands out. But the, the really question is what do these statements mean? Is it all just coach speak? What are the, you know, he says we will coach those that show up and have the mindset to get this thing fixed. Is he talking to a specific group of players here, uh, or, or a, a single player? Do we have like descent in the ranks where we have guys because now you're on a losing streak that aren't buying in anymore? Is there people that are naysaying in the locker room? What, what does this mean? And who is he speaking to? I, I mean, I could tell you just watching certain people and I'm not going to call them out by name, but I can tell you the body language, not just from a coaching staff standpoint, but from a player standpoint has significantly changed. Uh, from the first couple of weeks to what it's been these last couple of weeks. So, yeah, I'm sure that is going on in practice. Obviously, we don't get the chance to see it day in and day out or anything, but I'm sure that there are some guys that, you know, just aren't as positive and aren't bu- as buying into the program as they once were. And that's my fear, you know, is, is what's going to happen with this transfer portal? Who's going to stay? Who's still bought into the program? Um, because, yeah, that can lead to big issues. Yeah. Um, I, you know, to be completely honest, I, I feel that I kind of noticed just kind of shift in the player energy and just from the press conferences and then into practice. I mean, practice was very quiet last week. Um, and you don't normally see practice that quiet, that just kind of dead. Um, even during like when they're stretching, even, um, yeah, you could definitely, definitely feel it. It was just a little bit more of a quieter mood um so you're 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 right um i kind of in my mind i know we talked about you know the mental discipline and the adversity and just the player driven program and you know kind of all through off season um you know I, I stand by all that because i still believe that all of that did happen um but i think that that iowa game coming out of that that was the first wave of adversity and now this program is probably hitting that not probably they are hitting that second wave right now and this is this is that second time where they they gotta um you know really push through because this is when things get tough, that's when you really find out who's who's in, who's out, and uh, the, the the problems that may or may not have been there before they start to become magnified. I mean, he went even further and more threatening here, saying about the the drops and the penalties continuing and need to get fixed, or those players um, have to get out of the game and off the field. I mean, you can't call somebody out more than unless you say their name. Uh, was this just a scare tactic? You you see real mass changes coming in this week's depth chart? Nah, because he said this before about the undisciplined penalties and whatnot. He said in the first couple of weeks, and Valvins of line came out same old. So, um, yeah, I'm kind of in the believe it and believe it until I see it. I just feel like this is the wrong place to say those things. Like I feel like. It- he says these things in the media press conference, but then I don't see the actions on, on the field. I don't see him getting into the players and, and, and being in their ears and, and holding players out of the game because they dropped the football or they, you know, or they're not putting in the same effort that they once were. I don't see that. Maybe I'm missing it. Uh, but I mean, he, like I said, he, he says the right things in the press conference, but again, it doesn't translate to the field. Yeah. I mean, we all have talked before though. He's in a, <laughs> a rough spot. Like, Anytime you raise your voice to these kids, everybody gets shades of Durkin. Like he has a ghost over his shoulder. We've talked about that before where, you know, this, this program got real, real soft. And now it's like slowly building back to like how you're actually, you know, somewhere in the middle that you can treat these kids. So I think he's just real scared on TV days and it's just not his thing. I don't, it, it, uh, it goes both ways though. I don't see that the discipline side of it and I don't see the praise side of it either. You know, PJ Fleck, he's a very animated coach, right? And, and a lot of these coaches that you see now are guys that are running the sidelines that are, you know, that are cheering for their team, rooting guys on, encouraging them. I don't see that out of Loxley. He's just very, just kind of blah on the sideline for lack of better terms. Hugging a smile is about as, yeah. as high as it gets. Yeah. I, I get yeah. That. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I see shades of that. Um, but like on, on home games, I, I, obviously it's a little bit tough for me just because, you know, press box, whatnot. But, um, yeah, I will say I have seen, um, like, even when Josh Jackson was there, but like I've seen it a lot with Talia when they're coming off the field, especially up those interceptions. Like I've noticed that Loxley is just like irate or like uh, you could tell that he's mad, but I definitely have seen those moments where he takes the time and he tries to make it like a teaching moment. Um, so that's, that's just the, 
I guess the other side of it that that I have seen. But yeah, um, you see yeah. him talk about like eye discipline and things. You've definitely seen him coach up in the moment there. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes he's not coaching. Other times he is. Uh, yeah. No, I agree, and I agree with that. Um, I, I think it's it's hard, it's hard hard to say with certainty, but yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's a little concerning that that that's uh, that aspect hasn't really changed from year one yeah. till year three. But um, yeah, so. Well, we continue to talk about discipline being an issue. Uh, before we look too far forward in the next week, let's look a little bit more into the issue starting with penalties as Coach talks a little bit here uh, on a deeper level about the penalties. You know, what? You know, obviously you continue to coach and teach and demand. Like I said, our job is to teach and demand. Um, some of these penalties, we call them competition penalties. I mean, you know, obviously we, we're not playing, we don't play the ball in the air well. We had the DPI early in the game. Uh, we had the, the hands to the face, um, the you know, those type of penalties, the crackback blocks at the end are just stupid. And, and to me, those are the ones where those guys got to be, they got to be held accountable. And as I told our team, you know what, these guys going to be held accountable for their actions, just like we will as coaches. And it's on all of us. I'm not pointing the finger at the players. I'm looking at myself first, being held accountable for putting a product out there that, that, that gives us a, a chance to win. And so what we'll do is we'll, we'll go in, We'll look at the tape. Uh, we'll make any necessary adjustments we need to make. And, and again, we don't have a lot of time to, 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 to kind of hang on what just happened because we've got a, a great opportunity uh, against Indiana at home this week. You can't fire me. I'll fire the kids. <laughs> Is that what I, you guys just heard? <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think Loxie's, he's talked about like, you know, the, the, the pre and post play penalties and whatnot. Um, but again, I mean, it's, uh, it's I mentioned it, you know, kind of after last season, uh, the biggest thing for Maryland this year was going to be the the discipline, that execution. And um, yeah, I, I think that Maryland's still kind of battling through a lot of these uh, just these unforced errors. Um, and again, I think it's kind of what we talked about in, the, in that last question. You know, it kind of does boil down to if you're seeing these repeat mistakes and 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 trends really within your same guys, um, then make the changes. Uh, but if you're not seeing that, then what what does this message mean? You know. So I wanted to get your guys' take on this. I mean, do you put the onus on this more on the player, or do you put it on the coaching? Because for me, this is something that's coached up, right? This again, discipline is something that that is. I understand the players have to go out there and execute at the end of the day, but when this continues to happen time after time and time after again, it's not just one person. It's not just two people. This is continued across the board with the entire team. Well, I think he makes a good point here with the competition penalties versus the stupid penalties. Uh, he brought up the fact on the longer version of this quote of defensive pass interference and the hands to the face being more of things that just kind of happen when you're battling and you lose or you're, you know, just get your technique wrong. But then the difference is those stupid type personal fouls, crackback yeah. blocks, false starts. So like the stupid penalties are a hundred percent on the player because that's not in the heat of competition. Like, like that's just you making a poor decision and that's what the coaches should be able to get them out of. So I guess it's actually those, those are the ones that are on the coach because they're so controllable by the player and it's unacceptable. The competition type penalties, if you get beat, the best thing you can do sometimes is defensive pass interference in college. So like, that's more on the player of you're not getting your job done and it just happens. Yeah, I I kind of um I kind of I kind of agree there. Um like the crackback block on uh on on Saturday. I mean, that was you, you can't really put that on coaching because I mean, if you watch the whole whole play, I mean, I was at right. no level is that ever taught is that coach and that's just, you know, the emotion of the game getting the best of you in that play. Um but I do think that like again, it it does fall on the coaching. I mean, I, I'm mindful that there's a lot of these spots where you know, a lot of these guys that did play a lot last year, I mean, granted, they're still freshmen. They're only about 10 games into their college career, 11 games in. Um, so a lot of these guys are, are still new. Um, and like you said, Ryan, the, 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 deep, the DPI, the hands to the face, um, you know, those, those are coachable. Those are correctable. You can watch a film and learn like how, how to avoid and how to, you know, the, the, the minute details of how to avoid things like that in the future. But I mean, like you said, just lining up, um, Things like that. I mean, also Having some ninety nines on the field. That's yeah, that is that is <laughs> absolutely awful. I mean, just there's there's no. I mean, it's not the there's first no time that for it. yeah, there's not. It's not the first time ninety nine is rolled out for a punt. Right. Um, so uh, yeah, there. Maybe we don't the, need more than two hundred players on the team. Maybe yeah. we should <laughs> just get down to that number. We don't have a, We don't have a ninety seven on offense. Just give it to them. Right. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, so I, 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 I do put a little bit more of it on um, on the coaching, but recognize that there are a lot of these plays that are just player, I guess for lack of a better term, player-driven. And sometimes it's just the necessity of it. I mean, you, the first one penalty I can remember in the game might not have been the first, but it was awfully early, was the offensive pass interference on Chick. Yeah. Well, it's third and eight, and you have to get open. And so if you have to take a little bit of extra arm chisel because this guy's, like, blanketed, that you have to take that risk because otherwise you're kicking the field goal anyway. Right. So, you know, that wasn't the worst penalty in the world. He was trying to make a play and hopefully got away with it. Didn't work. Right. I've just, you know, watching football over the years, it's, it's easy when you've got one player that is a constant issue. Like I, I can remember years ago going back with the Ravens, Michael Orr, right? He was always false start, false start after false start. That falls on the player. It's the same issue over and over again. It's but not an Pollard issue on the whole. tired because he couldn't stop getting 15 yard penalties. <laughs> right. There you go. Right. <laughs> that is very easy to point out that it's a player issue, right? That's in this situation, you've got issues across the board on both sides of the ball. Again, to me, that, that seems more of a coaching thing than just a specific player issue. There's going to be player penalties, of course. That happens every game. Uh, but again, discipline comes down to coaching. And I think coach does a good job in this next clip taking ownership. We talked about that. Uh, you know, holding accountability, not just on, from the player standpoint, from the coaches and the staff. Well, I think it just starts with the accountability piece. And that's everybody. I mean, not just the team. I'm talking coaches. I'm talking staff. You know, at some point, as I said, pride becomes a, a big part of it. And I'm pretty prideful as a person and, and in terms of the leadership that I provide. And everybody needs to really take a deep look into themselves and make sure that you're doing everything you can in your power to prepare and give yourself a chance to win on Saturday. And like I said, the disappointing thing for me is we had two weeks to prepare and it wasn't as if they did anything that we didn't expect and we still didn't get it done. And that's on me as a coach. And so I got to hold our staff accountable to making sure we're doing things regardless of who's out there. Again, you know, we're not making excuses for anything and whoever's out there has got to be able to execute the things we do and we didn't get it done. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that the, the accountability, um, I think it, the, the most concerning aspect about this, and, and we mentioned it earlier, I mentioned it earlier about the the player driven culture is that, this quote kind of contradicts the fact that it is player driven because if it is player driven, then these players have that accountability to get better. Um, and that's kind of why I, you know, mentioned that, that these, the second wave of adversity is kind of hitting this team. Um, so for the, these guys to care day in, day out about every aspect of their, of this, uh, of this season, um, I think you're starting to, to see that get questioned a little bit. And some guys that, you know, maybe they feel like with the with group think that you know they're they're in because their boys are in, um, and now that you know not everything's running smoothly, you know some of those guys are out. Um, so I think the it it's it is a little bit of a concerning aspect, and I think now that is is kind of um, you know on the coaches to to kind of rein in their guys that want to be here, and if you find guys that are not all in, um, either figure it out or you know make a move, right. Yeah, I mean, he talks about coaches, players, and staff. Take a deep look into yourself and doing everything in your power to help with the win. I haven't heard staff mentioned very often. That feels real specific. That feels like Loxley's overhearing people in hallways saying things he don't want to hear. Yeah. People that are, are moving on. I mean, you know, like, even just down to the equipment managers, these are our Maryland students. They're being told every day, you know, well, we're more into basketball season. So if you're in that program doing that and getting caught saying things like that. That's where I think this quote comes in because it just feels way too specific for there not to be something he's addressing. But honestly, that comes along with the territory. This is now year three in the program, right? This is where, you know, he had those first two years that were kind of a pass as he turned the, you know, turned things around and got his guys in there and got his staff in there. It, there's no room for excuses anymore. And I think people are looking for results. And when you lose three games like this, the two against the Big Ten, you know, the Iowa and the Ohio State, you can almost justify them because they're obviously in a class of their own, a top 10 teams in the, in, in the nation right now. But when you come out there and you put on a show no different against a team like Minnesota, it's embarrassing. Yeah. I mean, 
You, you, it was a little bit different. We were in it the first end of the first half instead of the end of the first quarter this time. Same we made issues, it one more quarter though. further. Score, baby. yeah, score might have been a little <laughs> bit better, and he might have been in the game a little bit longer. But it's still the same issues. We're repeating the same things. It is. It, it, you know, he says regardless out there, we're not making excuses. Well, every time he says that, he's. He, just he follows it up with an excuse. Well, well he's not, he doesn't really follow it up with an excuse, but he's triggering your brain to fill in the excuses for him. Mm. That's a nice little trick. It's like, you know what the excuses I could make are. You know what's going wrong for us this year. And he talks about whoever being out there has to be able to do what they do. And if he truly believed that, if he truly believed it didn't matter that we're playing backups now, then he wouldn't have had his all-star players playing special teams from day one. He knows that we're not able to just plug and play any player. Our system isn't a world beater thing right now, or you wouldn't yeah. be risking your all-star players across the board. This isn't the yeah. NFL next man up type thing. You know, these guys aren't on that kind of level. There's very big, different disparity between the starters and second tier and third tier guys. Yeah. This ain't, this ain't Bama. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it is, it is, it is not Bama. Um, uh, yeah. So one thing I did notice about that, talking about the multiple, multiple starters, I, I, do we have any new injury updates for the good or bad, unfortunately, Ahmed? Uh, on the good, uh, we do have Terrence Lewis. Uh, he was back at practice this week. Um, oh, okay. It's, it's, what? Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's uh first first time he's I've actually seen him uh, all, all season. Um, so we were indoors, got a chance to kind of look at him. He was going through drills and whatnot. Um, we have not asked Coach Loxley about, you know, availability, whatnot, and I, I kind of mentioned uh you know in the comments on the on the article i posted for our subscribers last night um and again just mention if you're subscribed to inside the black and gold you learn about this uh when it happens and if you don't you just learn about it when everyone else does so um and you're not getting everything here only the stuff ahmed lets us bring out right exactly (laughs) i'm very specific but uh but um yeah so i think the biggest thing with terrence lewis is we got to be mindful that you know he came in and pretty much had that surgery right when he got to campus uh on his ACL and shoulder. Um, so right now, I mean, he's about nine months out from that. So he's just rehabbing and getting back to getting the playbook down, getting schemed down, getting up to speed. So do we see him this year? It's not a hundred percent. I think that this year would probably be, you know, if anything, he gets a chance to just run through practice and then maybe that last week he gets some run. Um, but that's, that's the, like, it would be best case scenario, but at the end of the day, if you don't want to rush it, things like that. Um, but I mean, that's it. Five, five weeks, plenty can change. I was going to say, if we expect to see him play at all this year, it's not going to be until the last three games yeah. of the season. That way he can play all three games as much or as little as they want and not have to work, worry about, you know, blowing his red shirt as well. Exactly. Exactly. And they're, they're, they, they can keep him in, in up to four games and, and maintain that red shirt. So with, right. with, uh, with only a handful of games left, I mean, you're, you kind of are approaching that point this season where he can be, potentially available in every game i mean i wouldn't i don't know if i really expect him to travel with the team unless of course there's like multiple other <laughs> injuries to the inside linebacker room no, thank you not yeah <laughs> not knock not on wood um, but at the end of the day even if he does not play this year uh it is very good that he is able to get in pretty much kind of gets a year jump start i guess you could kind of say that and then he red shirts He'll get a chance to bask in all spring, and then he rolls with the probably first or second team. Uh, probably, I'd say probably second team um, next fall. Uh, but definitely, definitely a welcome addition. And then for the bad, uh, Masai Nasilikite, Samo, and Deshaun Holt were not at Tuesday's practice, so we will get in. Uh, well, this will be out on Thursday, so you will have seen the update already. So um, you know th- those are some new guys to to kind of be mindful of, and then. The existing injury is Kenny Bennett. Um, he was the guy that I actually expected to play last week, and then he did right. not end up traveling. Um, so it sounds like, you know, it's just kind of about how he feels. Um, so, so far, he was out at practice on Tuesday, was out at practice on Wednesday. So, um, you know, we'll see. I expect him to play, but um, it'll probably be a game time thing where he kind of runs through. I mean, it was Jacorian Bennett a couple of weeks ago where he was just kind of running through, didn't feel 100% and he didn't play. Um, so that was kind of how it goes. So we'll see. Kenny would definitely be a nice addition. Um, but um, I think the that front seven, especially with their own Chami out, um, you know, getting guys like Deshaun Holden there, Messiah and Samo, especially Samo, who's been a real, yeah. real stud this year. Um, so d- definitely something to watch. Well, I'm I'm excited about that Terrence Lewis news, no matter what. Even if he doesn't yeah. play at all this year, the fact that he's out with the team, practicing, building relationships with people on the team, you know, getting to actually work with his coaching staff instead of just 
collecting a scholarship and going to school, which is the worst part of college. <laughs> and like, I was really getting to the point where I figured we were just going to pay him for a year of schooling and him be in the transfer portal, which can still very clearly happen if he just comes and practices. But it gives me a little bit more hope that he builds some ties here and wants to actually give it a shot on the field next year uh, to, to show us what he really can do. Yeah. Yeah, I think it would be definitely, definitely nice. And like you said, just the engagement part of it is definitely nice. He's been away for quite some time. So um, definitely, definitely good news. Yeah, so we talked about a lot about the issues on Saturday. Most glaring issue was our inability to slow down the unstoppable run game here. Coach addresses his thoughts on the running back success. You know, as I said, you know, as we prepared, it's not really who's running the ball for them. It's what they have up front. Um, you know, they have a culture up front that they want to run the football veteran group of players, they're big, they're, they're experienced across the board, guys with 50 starts. Uh, and it's not a surprise that that's what they wanted to do um, for us. That's why for me, you know, to have two weeks to prepare and, and, and still give up that type of yardage in the run game is unacceptable. And again, it starts with me, you know, teaching and demanding that we do the things necessary to take away what defenses or offenses want to do. I think you hit the nail on the head. Man, this offensive line of Minnesota's uh, was very seasoned, to say the least. I think the average age, they said, was like 23 on the offensive line. Yes, yeah, so the average age was it was like six months less than the Minnesota Vikings, and they were heavier <laughs> than the Baltimore Ravens' offensive line. 100% you could see them easily lacing up together as a unit tomorrow on Sundays. You know what I mean? Like They, they were just that physically and on, dominant and that physically imposing. And on top of that, they wouldn't ever use five linemen. They had six and seven yeah. out there every right. time they were on the right. ball. They remind yeah. me of the uh, the old Wisconsin lines of the early '90s and you know early 2000s. Like those guys were just huge, huge. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, I mean, they're right tackles. Uh, six, six nine kid is uh, yeah. it's it's pretty 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 crazy. But yeah, I mean, I think just uh, I know I mentioned it last week when you know, I kind of had questions about whether I thought Maryland's defensive line could kind of penetrate that Minnesota front because I thought they did a really good job. They came in with only allowing nine sacks through six games, and now they've only allowed nine sacks through seven games. So uh, right. it was definitely, definitely tough. And to see, I mean, like like Loxie said, he, like you said, and uh, you know, he hit the nail right on the head. It did not matter who was running the ball for him as nope. long as they had all those blockers in front of them. Um, you know, that's why they had two freshmen that ran for over 100 yards and finished with 326 on the day. Four different guys scored one rushing touchdown. Um, definitely, definitely very concerning. But I would say that the, to, for them to, for Maryland to know that this is Minnesota's identity to have two weeks to prepare. Um, and I, I even opened the show saying I didn't think Maryland executed very well, but it also is a testament to this Gophers offensive line. I mean, this is the legit offensive line, one of the best in the country. Um, and, you know, kind of makes you wonder what they would look like if they had Muhammad Ibrahim. Oh, I know. Definitely. And listen, yeah. I'm not going to harp on the defensive line. The defensive line has played probably the best position group again all year so far this year and going up against an offensive line like yeah. that. How do you teach and prepare for that kind of size, age and experience? You just can't. Yeah, exactly. And we got to remind, uh, you know, Ami and Messiah have been battling through those injuries. I mean, I know, um, you know, Ami believe uh, missed a game earlier this year. Uh, Messiah missed a game earlier this year, missed some time. So um, just battling in. So um, I think just kind of having that combination uh, just was not good, but uh, just I was not expecting that level of success from the Gophers at all. Yeah, I don't I don't know what these he's really talking about with. We had two weeks here and, and we couldn't get him. What what strategies were you going to do to be bigger and to yeah. be older and to be more experienced? Right, like these exactly two weeks saying. weren't going to weren't going to do that for you. I mean, I was just dead wrong here. That that offensive line was a physically imposing force. I don't, you don't just get bigger because you talked about it longer. That's that's that, that the bye week didn't help at all. The bye week helps in a complicated offense, something you have to pick up on schemes when you have to, you know, throw out confusing coverages. The bye week did nothing for hey, but guys, they're gonna run straight over you and just keep doing it. Well, uh, to your point, Ryan, you talked a little earlier about you know this game us actually being in the game a lot longer than we were against Ohio State and Iowa. We did have some chances, and one of those chances was right before the half. You know, it was a one-possession game. We held them. To, they had a chance to, to, to steal a score before the half, and we blocked it. Um, would have loved to see us be able to scoop and score to create even more momentum, but it was a big play for us. When we came in at the half, we knew we had a one-possession game. 
Yeah, you scoop and score there. I think the entire mentality of this game changes. I think the players go into the locker room feeling better about themselves, heads held high, and it could potentially change the outcome of how this game plays out. Yeah, you definitely start talking the what-if game because now you're talking about a tie ball game going into half. The fact that you had the last two scores to make it that way um, and just have those guys hanging their heads a little bit. But to dodge that bullet, the fact that they, you know, we dodged so three close. points there by getting the block. It could have been worse by them making that field goal. But they dodged a huge bullet by that not being a 10-point swing. Yeah, uh, I thought that was a, just a, kind of a really big play, kind of just knowing that Maryland kind of had some some of those miscues and missed opportunities in that first half. And uh, uh, like you said, to at first just maintain that seven-point lead, but then to also have that chance to tie the game. I mean, like you said, that would have been huge. Um, I thought it was just a momentum booster for Maryland, period, to block that kick going into halftime, keeping it a one-possession game. I thought that Maryland kind of – could have really just built off that. Um, yeah. That that I mean, at the end of the day, I feel like that was a perfect example of realizing that even though there's a lot that went wrong, you going into halftime on a great play, and it was still a one possession game. Um, so I definitely, I mean, I do understand. Obviously, if that was a scoop and score, I mean, would have been a different game. Would have been maybe a different outcome. Maybe a different ener- uh, energy feel in the locker room at halftime. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, what I did like about this when Loxie was asked, you know, kind of about like how this happened and whatnot, and he mentioned. They were going to call, uh, was it block right? And then they called a timeout to try and ice them. And then Loxley said, when they got to the huddle, Tarheep said, uh, F that, we're going to go block left. And, they, and then Zook called block left. And then sure enough, because initially it was supposed to be Jacorian who was the one that was supposed to uh, to come around off the edge. But then right. once once Tarheep called that, it ended up being Tarheep's responsibility. And then he, so, he, he so did he that. still got that block, but Jacorian was the one that was supposed to scoop and score. So was he still in his feelings? <laughs> oh, <laughs> Getting no. pulled off that block? Hey, I think I think he just he, he saw the end goal and and uh, was happy about it. But uh, yeah, I just thought it was it was a pretty cool cool play that, that they they called it like that. That's pretty telling, and that's good that that he is stepping up like that as a leader. Because um, I you know that's that's one of the things that I've questioned a lot is that a lot of the talent on this team is young talent, right? And we were questioning like who was going to step up and be some of these vocal leaders on both sides of the ball. Uh, we've been listening to a lot about from locks, right? One of those guys, let's talk over to the players. One of those guys I hoped and was expecting to step up and be one of those leaders is Rack. Uh, let's listen to what Rack had to say about what this offense can do to help right the ship. Eliminate the penalties and costly moments like on third downs, uh, drops, knowing what to do. I mean, regular stuff that fans don't really see. They just see a bad play. Stuff we have to really fix and practice. That's where, that's where it all starts. Well, all the stuff he mentioned there, fans see. Yeah. <laughs> he must be talking about something else about the blocks or pulls or some kind of like line work. But, you know, we see all the stuff the wide receivers do wrong. We see when you get a pick play. We see when you drop it. You're out there on an island. It's those big boys that get away with, with the fan problems sometimes. Yeah. I think, I think, um, Rack, I think was just more trying to allude to this, you know, just the, the, the detail of it. But yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I think it wasn't, it doesn't take, um, you know, it was pretty glaringly obvious what kind of went wrong in some of those plays. Um, but you know, I will say Rack was pretty, pretty mad during this post game press conference and it was only two minutes. So, uh, it was, it, I think just the, that, that energy and demeanor was, was kind of telling, kind of coming out of that. And that, that's, I think, what we'll be looking for from Rack moving forward. Does he use that to then become positive? Does he use that to become more of that leader? Like you said, you lose a guy like Dante Demas, who was the unquestioned leader of the, of the wide receiver core and the offense. He's no longer around the team. Can Rack be that guy? Or does this spin out of control and, and Rack is going the other way with it where he's not bought into the program anymore? He's not believing in the system because of the failures of it. That's my concern. Yeah, I mean, we'll live to see. I, I think that it kind of spun down from that. At one point, I was a little nervous about that being the case, but I, I think he's just was empathizing with some of the critics of the Maryland football team, which other players took a, an opposite role of asking why we're being so critical. So it was interesting that he, uh, he, he kind of agreed that, you know, he sees the problems too and he wants them fixed just as much as we do. Well, Rack specifically mentioned the penalties. We've already dug deep into that. He also talked about the costly moments. We alluded to the fumble on the third play of the game yeah. uh, by QB1 out there, but uh, I, I think we kind of got to dig a little deeper into it because you want to talk about things we've seen week after week. 
we talked on this episode or on the show last time that he just overrates his escapability, that he thinks he's going to juke and jive with the best of them. And he did it this week, carrying the ball like a loaf of bread, stopping and starting six times in the pocket before they poked that thing out on the ground right within field goal range, you know, in in the shadow of of their goal line, he's giving the ball up. Yeah, I mean, you 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 kind of nailed it right there. I watched, I actually watched a game last night. It was on replay on BTN, and um, that play. I mean, he just like you said, he just did not protect that ball at all. Um, and as soon as he changed directions, um, defensive end had turned around and had a perfect angle on Leah. So that was how they were able to get that out. Uh, Maryland did escape with no, um, you know, no points off of it. Maryland, uh, Minnesota did miss that 50 yard field goal, uh, to, to keep that game at zero. Um, but like you said, I mean, you just, those types of miscues that, that, that I guess that pocket awareness, um, just gotta be more consistent there. Yeah. Those are things you just can't have out of QB one. Well, we talked about rack being, you know, the vocal leader, what he's going to do to engage in this in this clubhouse. Well, he digs into his teammates a little bit longer than his next audio clip. I just think guys just have to have pride. I mean, have to just don't want to lose. I mean, be more desperate to win than being okay with losing. Uh, that's it, really. I mean, just have some pride, really. I mean, you see three losses like this. I mean, it's it's actually terrible, in my opinion. But, I mean, we're going to have to get to practice and get back to work. All right. Now, this is coming from a guy who probably hasn't lost a whole lot in his life. Uh, you know, being the elite level player that he's played at and playing at the club levels that he's played at and the high schools that he's played at. I'm sure that this is, uh, his first experience of losing at this kind of level. I mean, I don't know for sure, but, uh, to me, I get the frustration and he should be frustrated. Uh, just hopefully again, like you said, he uses it for motivation to be better. Well, hopefully he talks to Trevor Lawrence and realizes at some point he was going to be losing. So you might as well learn how to do it now. DJ Moore got all his losing out of the way and was used to it by the time he got to the NFL. So maybe stay here and prove you can uh, handle your adversity. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, and I, I think, like, I mean, Rackett said it in his, in his answer. Um, and Shay mentioned it the week before, you know, guys, guys weren't losing like this when they were in high school. And I think right. when you, when you get to this level and you do take these lumps, like, I think it just, wears on you mentally and i think we just saw that emotion of the mental uh toll that it's kind of taken on rack you kind of saw it expressed outward uh in in his response there i mean when i saw it live i thought that exactly was that uh when i replayed it i felt that it was exactly that 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 rack just is sick of this he he wants better and he wants people to demand better um and Rack, when he committed, I mean, he was like this, 1A, 1B with locks. I mean, they, they were very, very close. Daisy Johnson was right there with his relationship with Loxley. And I would say Rack is probably an extension of Loxley is a guy that just that is very prideful that I wouldn't say wears his emotions on his sleeve as much, but definitely still does. And I think is using that emotion to, to kind of light a fire under his teammates ass. Um, and I think, I mean, again, we, we kind of saw glimpses of it in the Tuesday press conference as well. Um, so I think, um, again, I just think this, this kind of loss coming out of the bye week and this, the way that they lost, um, I think that that's kind of why we saw, this type of, of answer from rack. But again, like I said, um, it, it stuck out to me from the second he started answering this question to, to when he wrapped it up, uh, the whole, the, just his demeanor when he answered it, even, um, really stuck out. I'm okay with him being mad. I'm okay with him being pissed off. He has every right to be mad and pissed off. This team has lost three games in a row, and they've been ugly losses, right? Yeah. I just hope he's using that though that frustration, that anger for good, as you said, as motivation for some of these other guys to light a fire under their ass and, and expect more and get more out of guys, not just players, talking coaches and everybody involved. Yeah, we, we talked about practice here. Rack still needs practice. All of us need to kind of realize that yeah, we expected him to be this all-star thing, and he was showing up as an all-star thing when he was getting the number two coverage behind Demas. But he, in reality, is basically at the end of his freshman season, and not even a normal like all-star freshman season with an early enrollee because he got no spring when he got in here as an early enrollee. Mm-hmm. He's just a fall enrollee that's on his 12th game, and honestly, he was sicking out for most of those. So what are you, what are you going to expect when, when he's the number one? He's kind of doing it. He's keeping. He's doing enough 
that they're rolling extra coverage to him. He's doing enough that they're sending him the double team. So it's the other guys that have to pick up. He almost said as much when he was asked by a reporter um, in this press conference, you know, what's the difference between you being the number one now? He didn't straight say, but he basically said, next man up. In other words, somebody else has to do something. Right. Like I can't, I can't do it all because they think I'm going to do it all. So you, yeah, can't have people dropping the ball all over the field. Yeah, and I think that was nice that we saw Marcus Fleming as a guy that kind of was that number two this weekend. Yeah. Where, um, you know, I know he caught that touchdown right at the end to to kind of keep it at eight or get it to an eighteen point game. Um, he had that forty three yard catch over the middle. Um, had a couple other targets. And I think he's a guy that, um, kind of he doesn't he doesn't complement uh rack in the same way that Demas did because you don't really have that same length and downfield threat but 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 Fleming is a guy he is explosive and you and just like rack you just find ways to get him the ball and I do wonder that if if Fleming is a guy that with him taking advantage of these opportunities and Loxie's mentioned day day um uh, so 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 other guys with those chances um you know can can they make the most of it but but Fleming is a guy that I've kind of really been high on with his skill set i know it's all been mental with him just getting everything down and and you know running at full speed with with comfort and, and complete knowledge of how Marin wants to do things and scheme and playbook and everything um but but i i do think that maybe his emergence could can alleviate some of that stress on rack but like you said um you know he's he's still young it's kind of you can make the argument it's still kind of an extension of his freshman year um and just the the added pressure he's facing going against these number one corners who are all, seemingly all NFL caliber cornerbacks um, is, is tough. So it's a, it's a, it's a learning curve, but I think you're going to start to see the, the fans will see the dividends pay off um, probably next year and two years. So um, just, just, just a learning curve right now. Yeah. I definitely thought that Fleming, his stats aren't going to blow you away if you didn't watch the game because yeah. he did have a bunch of drops. He did have some targets that weren't, weren't completed there. But they were all early. He, right. If you eliminated his first quarter and watched the rest of it, he developed throughout that game, and he played much better at the end of that game than he did at the beginning. So hopefully that continues throughout the year. Uh, I, I think you just see, you know, we, we, we're we looking here at, you know, Rack being sent to the podium. The next guy you're going to hear from the podium is Ruben. You're talking about two true sophomores who barely played last year being the representation for this team. When we're talking about all five and six year players on Minnesota's offensive line, you just see the difference of like the way that these mid level 10 teams can compete is that you get all these players together on their third and fourth year of your good recruiting. And you can make this work. You know, if, if we end up seeing that our guys are transferring out and we're not going to get the third years from these guys, God help us, but like this is still very young, very early in these careers where you're going to see, you know, our huge defensive line that only one or two of them, you know, are playing this year at all. Eventually they'll all be out there. Eventually, Leo Rack will have that experience and be, you know, the guy and have talented wide receivers coming up behind him. I know it sounds like it's early, but like you said, he's a sophomore. And if this guy's got true NFL aspirations, well, he might only have one more year left here before he's gone. Yeah, I mean that's true, but right so like right now who are who are we losing that's that? We're losing a tackle and a safety. Like that's eh? where we're at. Are we losing a tackle? Cuz I don't know if it's a foregone conclusion that Jalen Duncan's gone anymore. Right. I don't right. I don't know. I <laughs> We might just be losing a safety. <laughs> no, I I so I the guys that I kind of have in my mind are Chig, um you have Nick Cross, uh, obviously Dante Demas. Um Jalen Duncan was on my preseason watch, but I don't right. Like I just don't feel that he's at that level, and I, I think there there is a chance that he could leave, but I do think that there's a much more realistic chance that he comes back. Talia was a guy that beginning of the season there was little to zero chance that he was going to come back. Now I think there's a potential case uh, whether that does come to fruition or not remains to be seen. But I do think there's a lot of guys that you know maybe we did have like you know obviously Sam O is a guy that doesn't have any eligibility left. Uh, uh, Messiah will have uh, will have those things are going to happen. People are going to yeah. age out. But I'm just talking about the ones that are leaving early, the ones yeah. that we had, yeah. had like you know scholarships lined up for and planned that we're going to be. Yeah, there. like Nick Cross is definitely a guy that like this is probably the last year we'll see Nick Cross. Well, yeah, because every time a play goes wrong, Nick Cross saves it from a touchdown. So I think <laughs> <laughs> he led us in tackles for this game. Our safety led us in tackles. Right. Well, you mentioned Ruben. Uh, as we listen to Rack on the offensive side, the offensive leader, Ruben now on the defensive side, the defensive leader. Let's hear what Ruben had to say. 
Um, the penalties, uh, they do kill us. And at times, um, they put us in bad situations. Um, but we just got to look at the tape. Um, and, and that starts in practice um, with our technique, knowing our assignment and doing our jobs the right way. So, you know, we won't, uh, you know, be penalized and be in those situations. Well, we talked last week. Ruben's one of those guys that we expected huge things from. And uh, it's been less than I expected. It hasn't been terrible, but it's been less than I expected. Um, I made some claims last week that uh, he could right the ship with Jennings returning and that maybe lead us in tackles. Uh, clearly, I just told you he didn't with our safety lead us in tackles. <laughs> um, he did get eight. That's significantly better than he had been getting. Uh, and he had eight and a T-shirt. Because I don't know if anybody. Hey, I'm just going to throw this out there. Chance Campbell won SEC Defensive Player yeah. of the Week. I'm just saying. Yeah, I mean, that hurt. It hurt a lot <laughs> more than saying. we thought when he left. Yeah. Uh, but... <laughs> But you know, he made the choice. We can't, yeah. we can't make them all stay. Yeah, no, that's true. I just, I have really high expectations. We both did for, for Ruben. Um, and you know, when you're talking middle linebacker, you think of a guy that should be averaging double digit sacks. I think he should be in that 10, 11 sack or sack tackle range. <laughs> yeah, should be in that 10, 11 sack range. <laughs> yeah. Then Ruben will I'm be, tired. The, it's will be the best linebacker of Maryland history like he was looking for. Yeah. My brain is not functioning. EJ Henderson, who the hell are you? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Uh, but uh, honestly, I think every time Ruben comes to the podium, uh, it doesn't matter if it's a 63 nothing win or loss. I think the first thing that sinks out to me is that he is just so freaking mature. Yes. Like he, he, he always sounds so much older and just wiser than he is. And he that looks it too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, the, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, he's, he's a massive human being and he's like yeah. it's like skinny but he's also just jacked it's scary it's but, funny uh, you say that because i was actually thinking about that too like thinking about previous maryland media days big 10 media days i feel like our representation if you've got rack out there you've got tolly out there you've got you know ruben out there i feel like our representation in media day is is very well spoken yeah, yeah. absolutely i was actually surprised um the the only thing as I as I do it, the only thing he's got to do is clean up the ums for that NFL press conference as I just dropped one. <laughs> <laughs> but it seems to be a, a a rolling thing, especially right after a game when you're stressed out, you don't know what to say, you can barely breathe. That's when you're at your worst. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think um, you know, I think Ruben has a pretty, and I know it sounds so cliche, and I'm sorry, guys, but it, I think he has a really good idea of kind of what that standard does look like on defense and just what they need to be doing. And I think he, I mean, not I think, he has a very, very strong work ethic, relentless work motor. Um, and he's a guy that, like, he genuinely is that leader on the defensive side of the ball. Um, Talia, I mean, he, he is, and you don't really get that vibe from him in post-game press conferences and things like that. But, like, Ruben, you get the vibe, and it translates uh, on the field as well. So I think he, he knows. And, um, you know, I kind of – there was one point last week uh, where I noticed uh, uh, Ruben and Brandon Jennings next to each other, and we talked about just – uh, the, how young this team is yeah. and i just thought about you know in in, in two years and ruben and and uh, brandon jennings are next to each other you know that's that's going to be a, a hell of a linebacker room with guys like you know terrence lewis behind them and and uh you know just uh Aceta smith obviously once they get their footing things like that so um you know i remember back at the spring game i remember hearing in the press box and someone asked they're like so what should we expect this year and one of the media or uh you know, what a spokesperson for Maryland said, yeah, I don't know about this year, but definitely 2022. And I just thought to myself, I was like, you know what? There's a lot of young pieces. I think they can start to, to get the ball rolling. And Ruben is a guy that, you know, is why I felt that way. Um, so concerned about the defensive performance, but I think that Ruben is a guy that kind of gets everyone under his wing and, and kind of hits the reset button. And again, like I said, Rack is an extension of Loxley. Ruben is definitely an extension of Brian Williams, Brian Stewart, what they, what they want this defense to look like. Yeah. Well, Ruben tried right, uh, right in this next quote to kind of rally the troops, kind of say what we need um, from these players to, to get this back on the right track. Um, like I said before, just playing with heart, um, doing your assignment to the best of your ability, playing for the, uh, for the brother next to you, um, and just being a ride or die teammate. So, he gets it. Yeah. Heart. Miles yeah. and miles of heart. Yeah. It's the, uh, I think that was the more elegant way of saying what Rack said in terms of the, you know, this losing is embarrassing. You know, I think it was kind of same underlying message. So yeah. like you guys said, they, they get it. Um, and these guys don't want to lose. I mean, at the end of the day, no one wants to lose, but, um, you know, you always need those guys to get everyone on board when you do lose because, that losing, that con the contagious negative mindset, 
um, is real. So I think guys like Ruben, guys like Rack, guys like uh, Talia, um, you know, they 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 do Jordan Mosley, Nick Cross, you know, all those guys. They 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 play a big role. So um, time will tell if that comes to fruition. But uh, you know, they'll have a chance to to prove us wrong on Saturday. Yeah, they come home College Park Saturday against Indiana. Uh, this is one of those games that we circled out of the three remaining, Minnesota being one, Indiana being number two here, that if we're going to go bowling, we got to win this one. We're going to say this pretty much every week from here on out, right? Yeah, uh, but they got to win this. Well, the, they got to win this. Yeah. The good news is that Penn State got beat by Illinois, and we beat Illinois, so now technically oh, by the Jesus, transitive property, we, we are better than Penn State, so there's another one we can win. That's <laughs> not how any yeah. of this works. <laughs> Until we play them, that's how it works. Yeah. And also, also, after listening to all those clips, just be grateful that that, uh, unlike James Franklin, uh, Mike Loxley yeah. got the correct opponent this week and right. uh, uh, knows where his teams are playing. Um, so, <laughs> he was talking about USC. You know, <laughs> yeah, Frank, 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 Franklin's just trying to see how many zeros are on his next contract. Yeah, he's half checked out as it is. Yeah, that is done. <laughs> All right, so we got to talk about this game a little bit. Indiana, uh, what kind of challenges does this team present? We all know what this Maryland team needs to address and what mm-hmm. they need to fix to in order to win any game. But against this team specifically in Indiana, what kind of challenges do they bring to the table? Yeah, oh, I'm going to let Ahmed kick this off. He just keeps getting every every prediction right, every score almost <laughs> almost on the nose. So, Ahmed, you tell me what this team's going on, and I'll decide my score from there. There we go. So uh, when you talk about Indiana this year, especially this week, it all starts at the quarterback spot. Um, they had Michael Penix coming into the year, and then he yeah. he went down. And then Jack Tuttle stepped in, and he left last week's game a little bit early with a apparent foot injury. So um, Tuttle's status is is officially week to week, but the overwhelming expectation is that uh, freshman Donovan Donovan McMulley draws the start. Um, he was the guy that got a chance to close out the game for him last week. Um, so again, true freshman, six foot five, two hundred pounds. Um, this Indiana team uh, has the second or third worst uh, scoring offense in the in the Big Ten, the worst scoring defense in the Big Ten. Um, don't get too excited because Maryland has the second worst scoring defense in the Stop Big it, Ten. <laughs> I liked where you were going at first. Stop it. <laughs> um, but uh, other some other guys on offense to, to be mindful of. Uh, wide receiver Ty Freifogel. Um, you know, obviously, Maryland fans are, are familiar with him from last season. And then like tight end. forever. Yeah, well, if you thought he's been here for forever, wait till you hear this. <laughs> tight end Peyton Hendershot, who has been here oh since... Yeah, since uh, Coach K started at Duke, so um, <laughs> he's uh, been there for a long time. It, it honestly, I like re- thirty at this point. I swore he was on my fantasy team in 2016. <laughs> Man, I'm glad Sam O came back, but we that was like all we got out of that COVID year. There's yeah. teams out here that got like their whole squad. Like yeah. I don't yeah. want to graduate. Send me back. <laughs> yeah, they got uh, they got Stephen Carr as well. He's a running back, uh, USC a transfer from USC. Um, he's kind of been the the guy for him but he hasn't really looked super great he's looked good not great he hasn't really had any of those big explosive plays uh but offensively they definitely do not have that same identity as they did a year ago um and then defensive side of the ball the name to know is uh micah mcfadden who sits second in the big 10 uh in tackles for loss um other than that you know again it's it's uh, not a very good defense by any means i'll just say it at that but uh statistically maryland isn't either so i definitely think there's some opportunities to attack and i have maryland winning 23 to 17 oh man you're like bob ross I, over there painting happy trees this is gonna this sound so good they got a third quarterback out there right he's a true freshman he might be six five and all that but he's a true freshman ah i like our chances ryan Am I buying into it too much? I don't know. Do you remember when we talked Ahmed off of the Iowa game that he had it already written in the doc that Maryland was going <laughs> to – He changed it three different times. Whatever. Yeah, I it's did. One of those games. I can't remember which one. And he's like, it was oh, Iowa. You guys are right. I'm going to change it. I'm going to change it back. Was it Illinois? It was, no, it was, it was Iowa. Iowa. I changed I changed the score twice, and then when we were doing the podcast, we got all the way to the end, and I was like, shit, I didn't flip this, the winner. So then, like, literally mid-conversation, I'm flipping Iowa to Maryland, and I'm like, all right, whatever. Let's just roll yeah, with so it. That's, but, yeah. that's literally what just happened. I was convinced before you started talking <laughs> that I was going to go 27-21 Indiana because just like I'm already getting it for my wife. Like, does Ryan ever pick Maryland to lose? <laughs> like, what a homer. I had a feeling you were going to pick against him this I, week because of I that. No, I am – the biggest homer in the world. So I was like, you know what? Maybe I am just buying in too much. 
But you just painted too pretty of a picture. I'm going to go with the same score, 27-21 Maryland, instead of go. where I was going. Well, I'm going to let my decision uh, ride on. What color jerseys are they wearing? Oh, God, hopefully not gray. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I think Ahmed uh, – kind of sealed the deal for me because I was back and forth on this too. Um, I did not realize they were down to their third quarterback. I knew Penix wasn't going to be out there, but uh, did not realize yeah, I like the, the freshman guy quarterback. Down. That was yeah. a good thing. Yeah. I like our chances with that. Uh, I like our chances against their offensive line a lot better than I did against Minnesota. Um, yeah, I'll take the Terps in this one. I think it's still a lower scoring game. I don't think the Terps are going to you know, shock the world and put up 40 points or anything like that. I, th- I think the Terps win this one mm, 28 24 plus you yeah. can't go full-blown maryland without winning that fifth game and just missing a ball still like exactly <laughs> yeah you got you got to have those like five opportunities what did vegas say five and, and a half to yeah five five and a half just shy um and i also do vote that if maryland is uh, losing at halftime that uh cam blunt gives up his jersey for ej henderson and then marcus fleming does not return to the game because bruce perry is our new running back <laughs> Steve Suter could probably still play. Steve Let's Suter, there we go. There. <laughs> there we go. I don't know if we. Yeah, there we go. We got, we got Steve Suter, and you know, we'll just throw Sean Hill in there, and yeah, you know, what's there Lamont we go. Jordan doing? <laughs> just, just, let's just get crazy with it. That's right. <laughs> All right, man. Well, we appreciate you guys tuning in. Uh, I apologize in advance if the audio is not up to par this week. Uh, we had to kind of make shift and get this thing together uh, last minute, uh, but. Appreciate you tuning in as always every week. If you, we didn't get a chance to do mailbag this week, but we're going to bring that back for future episodes. Yep. If you want to be a part of that, make sure you send us a message on our Twitter. Uh, you can hit, uh, Ahmed up at inside black and gold in the forums there. Uh, we'll try to get your questions read on the air. Ryan, sign us off. All right, guys. Well, it sounds like a really good weekend in college park. You got the fingers homecoming. crossed. And you got the Maryland women's and men's basketball team giving you a little Halloween trick or treat. So, you know, get out there, celebrate, have a good time, finish it up with some candy. Until next time, here's to wishing all is well under the shower.